That's a good song, wasn't it? Very good. I'm going to look at just a few passages this morning before we get over into Hebrews chapter 12. If you would turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 19 verse 18. Titled The Message Whom God Loveth. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. And back to chapter 13, verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Now turn to Isaiah 53. God only had one son, our Lord Jesus Christ, without sin, but not a one without suffering. Isaiah 53, 4, surely, speaking of our Lord, he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. Then the chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes. We are healed. And we know our Lord, our God punished his son in our stead. And those that he loves, those his children, he rebukes. And chasten, now turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews, I think, is a book of encouragement because the children of God were being persecuted. They were wanting probably to give up and he, he gives many examples. He said some wouldn't enter in because... Wouldn't enter into that rest because of unbelief. But here in chapter 12, it said, Wherefore, seeing we also were compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And notice in the first three words of chapter, verse 3, for consider him. 
that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind, <clears throat> in your minds. You've not yet resisted unto blood. You've not had to give your life striving against sin. In verse 5, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receives. They are his children. They, are, they will be instructed. They will grow in grace. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For our fathers verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but our Father does it for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. No one enjoys pain, but it is grievous. But nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Here in verse 3, it says, Consider him. Always consider him and consider the one who suffered so much to put away our sin. He suffered the punishment for the sins of his people. And I always remember that. And I'm going to mention it several times today in the, minute, in the message. Chastisement for God's children. It's not God punishing you for your sin. Now God corrects us and God instructs us. But he does not punish us. He punished one person. He punished the Lord Jesus Christ who bore all the wrath of God upon himself so God could show us mercy and Christ died, why? Not for everybody, but for his children and for his sons and those that he loves. There's no How does he love us? He loves us in Christ. And look what he did to his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There's not one son without correction. No, he didn't, he didn't have any sin of his own. He died to put away our sin, my transgressions, my iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Without him being chastened by the hand of God, we would not have any peace. To unbelievers, when an unbeliever has to suffer pain, they say it's just a matter of fate or, or unlucky. And they're going to blame somebody else. Everybody suffers. We live in a world of pain, suffering. And some of y'all just told me, just today, some of the things that you know of people that are literally, physically going through right now. And it's painful. It's difficult. But, you know, and we say this, and we, but the Lord is on the throne. He does it, as we even read here, he does it for our profit. For our profit. You know why he loves those that he doesn't love? Just leaves them alone. And they suffer pain, and 
Most of the time, they get bitter before a believer. We are told that God works all things after the counsel of his own will. He has adopted us as sons and daughters, chose us. We're his. When a believer suffers, we feel pain just like everybody else. It's not that it's any lighter. We feel pain, and it's real. It's either physical pain, it's mental pain, it's painful. It's, it's painful to watch people that you love suffer. It's painful to know that there's nothing you can do to help them. Painful. But we are taught, and we are taught this, that whatsoever comes into our life, whatever it is, Whatever it is, has a purpose. That's all we can say. Consider him. When we think we suffer, consider him. He that knew no sin was made sin. He suffered in your place. The punishment you deserved, he took. He took. Here in verses 5 and 6, we have a consoling or a comforting fact. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, no faint when thou art rebuked of him. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receives. He's quoting from Proverbs. And this is, I was reading the other morning, and this came to mind. I run across this, and this is why I begin thinking about this. In Proverbs 3.11, This apostle, I think, was pulling by the Spirit of God from these scriptures. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. That word despise, don't make light of it. Neither be weary of his correction. Don't, you know, don't give up. I mean, don't faint. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Now watch this. Even as a father, the son... In whom he delights. Now, who does he delight in? There's only one son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He took delight in his son. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son whom he delighteth. You know what chastening is? It's a display of God's love. Now, the world would never see it that way, but it is. You that have children, you love your children. And you would stop them, if you could, from harm. And that's what God does for us. It's for our good, our profit. Now, what's this in verse 5? Paul is not saying, he's not saying you have forgotten. But he's asking a question. Have, have you forgotten the exhortation? And the word exhortation could be better translated consolation. So this could read, have we forgotten the consolation which speaks unto us as unto children? I'm talking to children this morning. I'm talking to God's children. You know what? We all face, a chast- we all face chastening. We all, every, there's not a single one of us, that, no matter the age, that doesn't have to deal with some form of pain or suffering. And if you don't now, you will. You will. <laughs> 
Have we forgotten? That's the problem. We forget. And he's just reminded, have you forgotten the consolation? Those that God loves. If he doesn't love you, you can mark this down. He'll just leave you alone. You're not his. But his children, his children, he loves them. He gave his son for them. He put away their sin, and he will not let his children just act any way. None of us need to, like to be rebuked, but we need it. Preach the word, exhort, reprove, rebuke with all authority. Let me give you some scriptures. Job 5, verse 17. Was Job chastened? Well, sure he was. Here's what Job said. Job 5, verse 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. How did know that? Job know that? Lord told him. Behold, now you notice this. Happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise. Don't make light of his chastening. Don't make light of it. It's a reason. There's a reason. Psalms 94, 17. Blessed is the man whom thou chasteneth. O Lord, and teacheth him out of thy law. You know, when we learn the best, I think it's through experience. Like I said, Job, we go, we go to him a lot of times. We know that this man suffered all that, that the Lord took from him and all the way through that book. And, you know, and he did have some self-righteousness. He sure did. And God brought it out because the Lord loved him. He said, have you considered, told Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He said, there's none like him in all the earth. Well, why would God chasten him? He loved him. Why would God do all that? He loved him. I remember somebody telling me one time that you know, you're going through something and over and it just keeps happening over and over and over. I said, God must sure love you. We wouldn't call that God's love. We think the first thing comes to our mind, well, God's punishing me. No, he's instructing us. <clears throat> James 1.12, my brethren, count it all joy. He talked in... Job talked about happy. Psalms talked about being blessed. Now he says, count it all joy. When you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Do I really believe God? Do I, do, I, I do, do I really believe God chastens his children? Many times I question, why am I one of his children? Those that he loves, he chastens. James 1, I mean, Revelation 3, 19. This is just so clear, so plain. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Repent of what? He grants us repentance into the acknowledging of the truth. Our repentance even needs to be repented of. 
as many as I love. You think about that. No greater love. Pure, infinite love. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? The love of God. So rich and free. We must never, as I've already mentioned, look upon God's chastisement as an act of anger, vengeance, or wrath. Many times, if we are not careful, as parents, when we try to correct our children, if we're not careful, we can do it in anger, in vengeance, or in wrath. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9. In all their affliction, he, our Lord, was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he buried the, and he bare them. And he carried them all the days of old. You know what I want you to see? Chastening is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Danny, you and Jim probably are getting old. Some of the oldest ones here in the congregation. He's buried you. He's carried you. And that's what he says. And he will carry them all the days of all. There's children. And he teaches you every day, doesn't he? He's carrying you. He's teaching you. He's teaching you really to hate this world. He's teaching you that one day you life, you know, you say, I don't have that much road in front of me anymore. He teaches you that. And he teaches us that as we get older. The word chastening, as I've already mean, mentioned, means instruction. All our afflictions are sent by our Father to teach us. Do you understand what I'm trying to teach you? David knew. God told him. All God's, all God's children will be taught. You've seen some children. You know, it's just sad in a, on the human level. Now they're talking about children that are going into high school can't even read. They've nobody, nobody loved those children enough to sit them down and teach them how to read? The Lord teaches us. He will teach you what this book says. He will teach you about him. He will first teach you to consider him. When, when trials come and suffering comes, you consider him. We've not yet resisted unto blood. We've not suffered as some have. We're not trying to keep score. All our afflictions... They are ordained by him. They are governed by him. They are limited by him. They are overruled by him for our good in his glory. He limits them. He said, this is it. An example, when he told, when he told Satan, he first said, you can touch anything he's got, but you can't touch him. And he took everything. And the next time he said, you can touch him, but you cannot take his life. 
If he hadn't put that limit on him, he'd have killed him. But he couldn't. Then you read the end of the story. Job said, I've heard of you. Afar off. Now I see you and I hate myself. And what he did, he learned something. God said, Job, where were you at when I made the world? He put his hand over his mouth. I'm vile. I'm wicked. If we would, if God would enable us to learn this, we would look upon our trials and hardships not as some horrible thing, but we will esteem them as wonders of his mercy. Don't faint when thou art rebuked of him. He's saying don't lose heart and give up. He talked on down and look in verse 12. Wherefore lift up the hands which now hang down and the feeble knees. and straight, Make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way and let, her, let it rather be healed. Just wore out. More just Give up, David said. I'm just one step between me and death. He said one day Saul's going to kill me. You know who King Saul was in David's life? He was the instrument whereby God used to chasten the one he loved. You described it and said, well, look at David. He's living over here in a cave with 600 men who are they're, they're basically hiding. From the hiding, from the law. Because if Saul finds him, he's going to kill him. But why didn't Saul kill him? He was limited to what he could do. David even goes down to the Philistines. And you know why? He said, so Saul will stop chasing me. You know what happened? Saul stopped, stopped chasing him. <laughs> but now he's going to chase David in the, in the midst of the Philistines. He's going to burn down Ziklag to teach him. And he did. God has many ways of rebuking, reproving, and convincing us. He does it by his spirit. He does it by his word. You go preacher, I know this passage of scripture. I know we know it. But I need to know more about it. And he does it by his preachers. He lays a message upon a preacher's heart. And you go, well, how do you know what to preach every Sunday? Well, it's pretty difficult. Like I said, I may have read this on Tuesday morning and just couldn't get it off my mind. Well, then I started thinking about it. And I try to think all week, well, what would the Lord have me speak on? Sometimes I read a passage and maybe not get anything from it. Then is the more I begin to look at it. And before I ever preach it to you, I hope by God's grace I preach it to myself. Lord, do you love me? Am I your son? Am I your child? And then he does it. How does he rebuke us, reprove us, or convict us? He does it by providence. Jonah, Jonah was a strange guy. I've not figured him out yet. I don't know if I ever, if ever will. But he, the Lord told him, he said, you're going to Nineveh. He said, no, I ain't. I ain't going. 
It'd be just like one of your children come up and you say, and I want you to go to bed now. I ain't going. I said I want you to go to bed. I ain't going. That's what Jonah did. You know what Jonah did? He says, I'm going to go somewhere else. He gets his money. He goes down there where they sell tickets to get on a boat. And he gets on the boat. Everything. Oh, look, convenience. Providence seems to be working out. I've got the money. I've got the ticket. I've got. I'm, I've gone on his ship. The Lord will forget what he said. The Lord won't send me to Nineveh. Oh, really now? And then Jonah's laying down asleep. He's resting. He's forgetting. I ain't going to Nineveh. He's going to Nineveh. And the Lord sends a storm. And Jonah, out of all the men on the ship, knew why the storm came. He said, he, he sent it for me. What a picture of our Lord. He poured out his wrath upon his son. And he said, how are we going to stop this storm? You cast me overboard. And God prepared a fish and swallowed him. Well, how did he survive? It's a miracle. But you know what he learned in the belly of the fish? Salvations of the Lord. And then what he said? Well, what did the Lord do? Had he changed his mind? Oh, no. Somebody said that whale was an Armenian. When it, when it come up far to the shore and he said, Salvations of the Lord, it spit him out. <laughs> and you know what he does? He goes to Nineveh and preaches and the whole town repents and he gets mad about it. But what I want you to see, God in providence took Job, I mean Jonah, where he needed to go. He worked it out. Not in anger. And then he talked, Jonah out there, he got mad. He's going to wait and see if God would destroy him. And God brought up a gourd over his head to cover his head. And then hey, he's so happy about it, and the next day it withers away, and then he gets mad. What describes us? I ain't going there. You know what he does? You know how you train children? Make them want to obey. Make them want to obey. And that's what he does. He makes us willing in the day of his power. Jonah, he, after he come out of that well, he's willing to go. <laughs> no argument now. But see, God had not changed his mind. You know, I've, I've been through this. I remember when we, before we came, you know, every, the thing, everything we went through, you know, selling the business, Working on that place, oh, I mean, all that stuff, and, and it's in our mind. Will, will we come here? I don't know if this is the Lord's will. I don't. I just don't know. Then things become to get clear. And I say, really, you know, when you when you when it's there and you push it out of your mind, it's different. But when you sit down on the porch with Danny Belcher and he says they want you to be their pastor, and I go, hmm, that means I've got to leave everything. And come to a place I don't know very little about. I mean, when I said they they want me to be want me to be your pastor, I said you don't know me. You've heard me preach, but you don't know me. Remember, we come and we met at your house, and we we just brought out some things. And we, you know what, you know what you read, know them in the Lord. We begin to know each other. We know what we face and what we have to deal with, and we all deal with these 
things. And the Lord teaches us. He's taught me this. Things may go on the same way for a while, but when he intends to do something, all I can say is, hold on. Everything starts just falling right in place. You don't force it, and, and, you're, and you're just so tickled to death. Say, Lord, he, just like he said, I took care of that. Don't you don't have to worry about that. How's it going to work? I don't know. It's like when me and Sandy got married. We have two families, two houses. How are we going to make that work? I don't know, and I don't have to know. I know this. I know if it's God's will, it'll work out, and it did. But I learned from it, and it was painful. It's painful the day that we got married to see my three daughters there crying their, mo- their eyes out because they still miss their mother. That was painful. That was painful for me to tell them because they're still hurting. They still hurt. But the Lord's taught us. Taught us. <laughs> he teaches us through these things. By these, He convinces us of our sins. Then he, by his grace, forces us to bow to him, not because he's angry with us, but because he loves us. Let me tell you this little illustration. Erica, she makes her th- her children mine. It doesn't matter if they're boys or girls. She, she's got a little girl now, this youngest one. She said if she'd had her first, that'd been less than she had. <laughs> she's going to try her patience. They were sitting out on the porch one day. Macy, she's the oldest one. Macy's going off down off the yard, going on into the woods, and she shouldn't be in the woods. They might get on a snake or something. And Justin, her daddy, says, come here, Macy. Come here, Macy. Macy just turns around grins at him and just keeps going. Erica said, Macy, I said for you to come right here. You know what Macy did? She turned around and walked right up and stood beside her mom. Justin said, how did you do that? She said, I'm not her friend. Because he was saying, you need to be her friend. He said, I'm not her friend. I'm her mama. Our Lord, now he is our friend, and he is our father. And when he says, you come here, there's a reason. There's a reason. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. All who are without chastisement are not sons. I had three daughters, and I tried to correct them, and I made some bad mistakes. I remember Heather, she used to, she, she'd get in church, and I, I've seen her walk, she'd walk up here to the pulpit, and the preacher would preach, and the preacher would have to say, Mike, come get your daughter. <laughs> and then she'd yacked out, man, I remember I picked her up one day, and we're going outside, and she's screaming her head off. You know, and I was like, I should have never done that. It didn't help her or me or anybody else. But, you know, I hope I learned from that. You know, that's why I think we love our grandchildren the best, Linda. <laughs> we made so many mistakes with our parents, I mean, with our first ones. But we bow. Not all. I didn't correct anybody else's children. I did mine. And I told him, I said, this is why I'm doing it. And if I didn't know, because, see, Erica and Heather were only three years apart, and then there's nine years till Caitlin come along. Heather and Erica, they got in a lot of trouble together. And I said, well, 
which one did it? I don't, it was her daddy. It was her daddy. I said, I know. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure I'm going to get the right one. I'm going to get both of you. They never owned up which one it was, but they both got it. And I've had Erica tell me that she remembers it. <laughs> she would she, see their bedrooms were side by side, and she would count how many licks I gave Heather. And she said, you better not give me any more. <laughs> but the Lord teaches. You know what I did? Because I loved them girls. I loved them. I wanted them to grow up to be responsible parents. And I rejoiced to see them. Some of them, it takes a little longer to grow up. Have patience. Ain't you glad God has patience with you? Just like little children. Little Isaac, he, he might be just be able to walk a little bit, and he stumbles, he falls. He can't, he can't say much, but he still talks. And you have patience. And you're hoping one day, by God's grace, he'll grow up to be responsible. And maybe God will give him grace to look to him. The word here, bastards, refers to one born of an unfaithful, adulterous wife or a child of fornication. You know what it refers to here? It refers to one who wears the name of God's child by profession, but he's really not a child of God. He claims to be, but they're not. Look at Jacob and Esau. Outwardly, it looked like Jacob, Esau had everything. Look at Jacob. He works for Laban, and Laban changes his wages ten times. He even deceived him, and he was supposed to get Rachel first. He worked seven years. Then he's got to work another seven years for Rachel. Then he's got to go back and face Jacob. And then for 17 years, he thinks his favorite son is dead. And he says, all this is against me. No, it wasn't. It's all for him. But which one of those would you say God loved? I know which one God loved. Because he said, Jacob have I loved. And Esau have I hated. If God loves you, if he loves you, I know this much. He's going to make you like his son. Here's what Mr. Cowper said. This is... Is in the. Uh, it says, "Tis my happiness below, not to live without the cross, but the Savior's power to know, sanctifying every loss. Trials must and will befall, but with humble faith to see, love inscribed upon them all. This is happiness to me. God in Israel sows the seeds of affliction, paint, and toil." These things spring up and choke the weeds that would else or spread the soul. Soil. Trials make the promise sweet. Trials give new life to prayer. Trials bring me to his feet. They lay me low and keep me there. Did I meet no trials here? No chastisements, by the way. Might I not with reason fear I should prove a castaway? Bastards may escape the rod. Sunk in earthly vain delights, they may. But the true-born child of God must not, would not, if he might. Would not, could not, must not. He knows who does it. My father. 
God's purpose and chastening there, verses 9 and 10. We've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. God's not like us. He never chastens us when there's no need without a purpose or when he's, or when he's angry because he said fury is not in me. When he corrects us, there's a need. You may not see it. I may not see it. We may not see what's down the road, but he does. Uh, here's an example. I remember one day we were... And we were driving back and forth to North Carolina about every weekend, and you know we got everything packed, and, and we were pushing. We were trying to leave on Sunday evening. Didn't want to have to get up on Monday morning. I'd, I'd just rather get on down the road. And we got we packed, and we're pushed for time. We got to meet somebody, and we get all almost the Ripley. I said, Sandy, did you get my medicine? Can you imagine how you feel? Not real happy. <laughs> I said, we're turning around. we can't, We got to go back. And you know what I said, Sandy? It's just wait to go tomorrow. I don't know what laid down the road. The Lord did. You see what I'm saying? You go, that wasn't a chasing. Yeah, he did. He taught me. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like the pain. We're going to have to wait to go tomorrow. Why didn't you get the medicine? It's your fault. No, it's my fault. Because if I hadn't have been pushing her, she wouldn't have forgot about it. But you see, well, those are just everyday things. But when you stop and he thinks, you consider him. Well, Lord, they, you did it for some reason. You did it for some reason. God chastens us that we might grow in grace and in faith and in love. I hope I believe him. I hope I have faith in him. And I hope that through the things that I've went through or you've went through, and that you will go through, it will increase your faith. No question about it. You won't have any other choice but to trust him. What am I going to do? Trust him. Consider him. Turn with me to Psalms 119. I believe this is David. Psalms 119.65 Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandment. Before I was afflicted, before the pain or the trouble came, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Thou art good, and thou doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. His law is not grievous. I can see kids telling teenagers, your parents are just too strict on you. They might love you, 
They might care for you. Here's what he said, verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Some of you that compete, listen to me. You know, sometimes you know what's good for you? To fail just a little bit. That's good for you. You might learn more by the failure than you did by all the wins. Really. That's hard. Looking at Sarah, I'll never forget when she was going to graduate. It didn't work out. Something happened. I can't remember. remember and, and, just, and through that, she flies to Florida hmm, to a Bible conference. She was supposed to go overseas, wasn't it? Something like that. I'm a, what, what the, getting to the point is, when she goes to Florida, you know who she meets? Mr. Jimmy. <laughs> Isn't that right? Why? You go, that was painful when everything happened, you know, that it didn't work out as we planned. Here's what we'd planned for our daughter. It didn't work out. But it did work out. You know, she's married and got two little boys. You've got two little grandsons and one more on the way. And even whatever Katie's going through now. That's painful. Painful. But he loves her. He loves her. It's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn his statutes. You learn this. His, what does God require? The whole chapter, one night, Psalms 119, is all about the word of God and God's precepts, God's commandments. His commandments are not grievous. You know what unbeliever said? He's a hard master. He's a mean daddy. No, he ain't. You don't know him. <laughs> if you knowed him, you wouldn't say that. My daddy loves me. My daddy would do anything in the world for me. And he has. And he does. Why? He loves me. God's purpose is these times of chastenings that we may live, and it says that we might be partakers of his holiness. And what does this mean, partakers of his holiness? Our holiness before God is altogether the work of his grace, imparted and imputed unto us by Christ and his righteousness. But God's holiness in this place cannot refer to the moral character or to that holiness which he gives, which we have in Christ by grace. Here the word means we are partakers of separation. When he sends it, he does it to separate us from this world. He went down and he said, I'm going to let everybody know that I put a difference between Egypt and the children of God. These over here I love. These over here, this is my firstborn. These are the apple of mine, not these over here. He may leave others alone, but not you. 
I'm not proud of it. I remember I used to drink a little bit and those things. And I remember I remember one time I would, you know, I lived by myself. I just basically do anything I wanted to. No, there was nobody telling me what to do. It's a miracle, a miracle, I'm telling you. Knowing this old boy. I remember one Saturday morning I, I got woke up and I did not know how I got home. And that's terrified me. I said, I'll never, by God's grace, and I didn't know God from a bat. I'll never do it again. But why? He, he, he protected me. I could have run over. I could have run over and killed some. I could have killed somebody's child. I could have still been in prison. But why did he protect me? I have a lot of friends that have already dead. Some horrible things. But why spare me? Why why God spare you? Like you said, you're on why us. He separates the wheat from the chaff. And we have a whole lot of chaff. In verse 11, he shows us our Father's ultimate end in our trials, our heartaches, and our afflictions. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Nobody likes pain. Many times it's grievous. Nobody, nobody loves to lose a loved one. Nobody, nobody loves those things. I mean, it's painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peace, peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, the best way to get fruit off of a tree, whether it's nuts or apples or peaches or Peaches or, or oranges. You know what it is? The best way to get them off? You know what they figured out? They used to have to hire people to pick them. I remember when my dad used to go pick them. Pick them by hand. Had to put a ladder up in the tree. Now they got a machine. It goes up and grabs the bottom of that tree. And it shakes the far out of it. And here comes the fruit. <laughs> you know how God does? He shakes your tree. But the, sheet, the tree still stands. It yieldeth. And see, that's the effect. It yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness. And only chastisement can do that. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Very soon, we will not need chastening anymore. Revelation 7, verse 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. They came out of, they came through great tribulation. And they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into living fountains of water. And God shall wipe 
all tears from their eyes. One day, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more heartache. And you know what he's going to say? He said, you see all these? These are my children. And I love them. And I would not, under any circumstance, for any reason, ever leave them alone. Because if he did, you'll perish. If he leaves you alone, you'll go your own way just as quick as you can. You'll be just like Jonah. Jonah.